Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. There are certain conversations we all dread. The ones in which we have to deliver bad news or constructive feedback, discuss a sensitive or political subject, or talk about a project, a meeting that's gone wrong. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, in this episode, communications expert and master storyteller, Amy K. Hutchins, shares with us powerful tips from her new book, Get It which is filled with conversation tips and magical phrases so you can get exactly what you want. Amy K. Hutchins is an award-winning speaker and best-selling author who has been featured on Bloomberg, NBC, Fox, and ABC. She has helped leading corporations such as The Home Depot, Starbucks, Expedia, Walmart, and others in guiding their executives how to confidently navigate their toughest conversations without saying something they regret giving away their power, or damaging their relationships. Visit imbeyondbearers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Amy Kay. Hi, Amy Kay. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be such a fun conversation because it is an important and a challenging topic of how to have tough conversations. So um, first off, I want to know more about your journey. How did you become who you are today? I am a teacher through and through. So I taught imaginary students when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. And then I was child uh, development and high school interest and did an internship program became an elementary school teacher, corporate trainer, started my own training company, and here I am today, and I'm still a teacher. Wow. I love that, the, the common thread that has guided you throughout, no matter you know, where you've been in academia or corporate or as an entrepreneur and now as an author. Well, if somebody had said to me 28 years ago, you know, as an elementary school teacher, oh, you know, someday you're going to be this entrepreneur, you'll have your own company, you'll travel the globe, you'll speak, I would have been like, you're insane. <laughs> It's amazing how our life unfolds, right? When you just uh, discover your passion and you're not afraid to follow your true north. It's true. You know, this was, a, this was actually an absolute calling. I mean, it just feels like there's no other path I could have taken but the one I have. That's amazing. Um, what would you describe as your superpower? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that it took me a tremendous amount of pain in order to find my superpower And there's um, a great quote that says, right next to your greatest pain sits your greatest gift. And Mm -hmm. I really think that that's true. And so my greatest pain was I didn't know how to speak up and I didn't know how to use my voice and I didn't know how to draw a boundary. And then the moment that I saw other people doing it, and then I started to practice the use of my own voice, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is good. And I am actually good at this. And so then I started teaching it to others. It was like, oh yeah, this is my superpower. I'm a master communicator. Wow. And, and on something that so many people struggle with, 
Um, you know, this is, especially when uh, it's about having tough conversations, there's so much fear about hurting someone else's feelings or uh, coming across as inappropriate or a bully or something. And, and the tendency to just take that on can get in the way. Um, you know, some of the um, common reactions are, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings um, or I know I needed to say this, but I thought of it hours after the conversation or um, I, I just can't f- seem to figure out the right thing at the right time. So tell us more about your framework and guidance. Well, let's, let's, let's have a human moment because I think you're absolutely right. I think that communication is extraordinarily hard. We mm-hmm. were given this voice box and no instructions on how to use it. <laughs> and yet, if you're going to be a great leader, if you're going to be a great salesperson, if you're going to be a great innovator, if you're going to be a great spouse or significant other or a great parent, mm-hmm. communication is a fundamental skill. I mean, it's necessary. It's not, it's not the only, I mean, it's not sufficient. You, there are all these other skills that you need to know about business and career and talent and diversity, but it's a, just a fundamental. If you don't have it, you're never going to be as successful as you need to be. And I think that the sort of the common denominator for every single one of us, no matter where we are in our career, Mm -hmm. is that tough conversations are either attempted or avoided every single day. Mm. Wow. And and so um, how does someone develop the skill or the competency of having this? Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I I work a lot with women and I think that we get this... um, kind of erroneous definition of confidence. And really my perspective is that the more that you do something, the more confident that you get, but you have to take action, right? So it's no different when it comes to communication. It's really hard. And the more you practice it, the better that you get, like any skill that you develop. And so your confidence comes from tackling that tough conversation. But I will tell you, the number one thing that I tell every single one of my clients is you must prep for the tough and critical conversation. You cannot go in and wing it. Winging Mm -hmm. it will not get you the results that you want. And so it really is taking the time to get clear on what it is that you want, what outcome you're looking for. And even though, and and I I seriously, I talk about scripting. I'm not a fan of scripting. I'm not, I'm not. When we do sales trainings, I'm like, let's not script. I don't want you to become robotic. But I do want you to have some like brilliant back pocket one-liners that you can just kind of pull out and be like, okay, I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, that would be great to dig into. Can we um, share some, you know, back pocket? Well, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of, one of my, old, so I'm a big fan of magical phrases. And mm-hmm. the reason that I'm a big fan is because I always learned them a little too late. It was like, <laughs> oh, you know, if I just had that phrase, you know, last week, or if I just had that phrase, you know, two months ago, and so one of the things that, um, that I love to see is that when I share them with my clients or I share them on stage, people are like, yes, you know, it's like, oh, of course, I wish I'd known that too. And so you get to use it in the next conversation. And so I'm a big curator of magical phrases, but one that's in the book, and, and I'll share this because it's just one of my favorites, is the expression, a part of me. Mm. So for instance, like if you and I are having a difficult conversation and, and we say something as an absolute, like I'm angry. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. It comes across as if it's a hundred percent that emotion and it never Mm. is. But when we say an absolute like that, we leave um, all these other possibilities off the table. Whereas if I said a part of me is angry or a part of me is frustrated 
or a part of me is disappointed, then there's room for all these other parts. And so what happens is tension de-escalates instead of increasing. It, it almost sounds like an identity, you know, because when you say I am, I'm angry, it's your entire identity versus saying a part of me. And right. the identity so, of, uh, you know, responding to someone who is angry with you entirely, that's, um, you know, that's likely to bring about defensiveness. <laughs> it's, it's exactly what it does. You, you just nailed it. And so I think that when, especially like when you're talking to a teenager, so let's just say that, you know, your kid has come home and they missed the curfew. And, and, and you're angry because you were worried and you were scared. But if you just say, I'm angry, then that teenager either gets incredibly defensive or shuts down or gets really angry. But all of those possible reactions, that myriad of responses does not help. And mm. so if you say to your, to your son or your daughter, you know, a part of me is angry, a part of me was scared, a part of me is disappointed that you were so disrespectful in the rules that we set. So we're going to have a conversation tomorrow about how we're going to play differently because I really do want to hear what happened, but I'm, I'm a part of me is too angry to listen to this right now. And so what you've done is you've communicated clearly all these things that you're feeling. And you've also said, and I, maybe I can't handle a, a conversation right now mm -hmm. and you don't have to have it. And I think mm -hmm. that that's, if we move to a professional example, that's probably the one thing that I would say very clearly is that most women feel like they have to have the conversation when somebody else says it's time for it. You don't have to have that conversation if you're not ready for it. Right, right. Well, I love the powerful magical phrase because you just gave an example that was in a professional setting, but also another one in your home with your teenage kid, right? And I'm sure the same thing is equally applicable if it's between your spouse and yourself. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting because I'll, I'll caveat right here. I am not a family therapist. <laughs> you know, I am not a relationship counselor. And it is amazing to me how many times with a coaching client, you know, you get, you get a few uh, calls in and then all of a sudden they'll be like, Amy Kay, do you have five minutes? And I'm like, oh, here we go. It's marriage or kid, marriage or kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But that's sort of even your book topic kind of gets into the overall oh, uh, relationship dimension. So speaking of that, tell us about your book. Oh, I'm so excited. So this, this is one of those where I'm super practical. So I, you know, I love a good theory for sure. You know, I love it when somebody's an entertaining speaker, but I love it most when somebody's like, and here's what you can do, and here's what you can say, and here's how you solve this problem. And so the fun thing for me about Get It um, is that it is. It's covering both things at, at work and at home in this super practical, it's filled with magical phrases. It's filled with scripting examples and frameworks. It talks about preparing for those tough conversations, drawing a boundary, like, you know, like we all have to do that, right? And so I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited because the people that have already read it, it comes out in a couple of weeks, but the people who've already read it are like, I'm using this and it works. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that a great feeling as an author to have someone say, hey, your work mattered and it changed my life or changed my life? It feels work. pretty good. Yeah. It does. So congratulations again on the book. And uh, I know by the time this episode comes out, it will be available on Amazon. And uh, I love the fact that it's filled with magical phrases, you know, something that everyone needs in their lives. So tell me about what inspired you. I mean, you know, from being a, a teacher throughout your life, uh, a book feels like a natural progression of that. Uh, but your own personal journey of, you know, 
um, publishing the book and your own personal journey of saying, yes, I want to do this. And um, I know for me, it was a journey of always dreaming of having a book. And then, but that point where you finally decide, yes, I'm going to do it. And then you do the work. What was that like for you? You know, it's interesting because I think that it, there wasn't like one definitive inflection point where I was like, I must write a book. Mm-hmm. It was more of the, I had, I had done a lot of think tanks with CEOs. And so the, prior to this, I had a book called The Secrets Leaders Keep. Yeah. And I, I'll be really vulnerable. I wrote this book, like how to be a fabulous leader. And when I was done writing it. I was like, this book sucks. <laughs> like, I don't even want to read this book. You know, we have enough books out on the bookshelves already about how to be a great leader. And, and I started looking at my clients and I was like, you know what, what we've been told is that it's lonely at the top. Mm. And we hear this expression that it's lonely at the top, it's lonely at the top. And I thought, you know, we have more in common than we have differences. The things that, we, that make us feel so isolated and disconnected are ironically the things that connect us all. So I ended up writing this book about the secrets that we all share, that if we talk about them, we'd realize that we are not so alone. And so it was this creative book of short stories and it was wildly successful. Like I didn't, I didn't write the book like, oh, I'm going to go make a million dollars. I mean, it never even occurred to me that like a book would make money. It was like, no, I just want to get this out there. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. It was a fun project. So I rewrote it. Um, and then this book, I was working with clients. And again, I, I tended to be solving most of their problems from a communication perspective. Mm. And it wasn't like Six Sigma Lean Engineering is not phenomenal, right? Or that you don't need a, a, a formula for your sales and a process and a methodology. It was just that no matter whether we were talking about sales or innovation or a cultural issue, it was always coming back to, well, this is how you're going to have a conversation. This is how you're going to frame it. You're going to fix it by starting with a communication. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, why don't I share this with everybody? It just works. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided, oh, this should be in a book because let's just share the love. That's awesome. Um, So what is the key message you want someone to take away from the book? There are probably four really overarching umbrella points. And that one is your life is happening one conversation at a time. Mm. So if you can just slow down and take a deep breath and realize you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all this you know, stuff memorized. What you need to do is just say, if I can just take my life one conversation at a time, I'm going to be okay. Mm. And I, one of the things that I find so important too is that I I truly believe, I sincerely believe that the life that you want, what you truly in your heart desire, it's on the other side of a tough conversation. Mm. So when you can take that tough conversation and navigate it successfully, you will actually get the life that you want. That's incredible. Um, And that's so true, whether it's in relationships um, or Or parenting, asking for a raise or really going after that job you dream about, or even asking for business when you launch your own company. It's, It's so true. And I think that we put, you know, I would imagine that your listeners are high achievers and go getters and in some ways like perfectionists. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've found is that when you've got super smart go getters, even helping them to say, Hey, look, you're going to actually be more successful. If you just take it one conversation at a time, it actually does allow them to fly faster when they slow down. And it sounds a little ironic, mm-hmm. but it actually works. Could you illustrate that with an example of something that you've seen in practice, perhaps in working with clients? Yeah. So everything from the interview process 
to asking for that promotion. So let's just do a real world. I, uh, we'll, do, we'll do a real world that was just recent. So two weeks ago, this gentleman called, and we're in the middle of um, this pandemic by the, the, uh, during this recording. So he's like, I, I feel weird, but this was a conversation where I was supposed to ask for a raise, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Should I still have this conversation? And I said, well, how about if we walk through how you would have the conversation if you were to go forward with it? in this time frame and then you can decide once we've walked through it whether that's something you still want to execute or not it's like okay great so he was like okay i want to raise i was like yeah that's not where we're going to start <laughs> I was like, so we backed up and i said you need to put an overarching framework to this you know how might i become a more successful team player or how might i take on more responsibility through this and i said we need to start talking about it from the other person's perspective and why what's in it for them that's nothing new, right? We've all heard that. Mm -hmm. But the framing, the framing to come back, another magical phrase, was to start with how might we? Mm. How might we make me a more integrated team player or take on more responsibility means you're open to problem solving. There's lots of possibility. I want us to co-create a solution that we can agree to together. Mm. I haven't even talked salary yet. Now mm. I'm talking value. You know, mm -hmm. how, do, how do I become a more successful team player? It's like, I'm willing to play. I'm willing to offer stuff. That's a whole different mindset at the start of that conversation that I'm here to talk about a promotion and a raise. What's powerful about that framing is also the use of we. How might we? Because now you and the person you're having a conversation with are on the same side of the table uh, looking at a shared problem that you're co-creating a solution for. Exactly. And, and I think that there's, there's tremendous power in that. I think that as, um, you know, as adults, we love, we love to be asked, not mm -hmm. so much to be told. Mm -hmm. um, and so we is just a great way of saying, I, I want to know your ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to know what you're thinking. You're sort of opening the door for that dialogue to happen and sharing power in a way of, uh, you know, bringing someone else into the conversation that you care about. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we often forget is that we can do this at home as well. We can do it with our spouse, significant other, partner. We can do it with our kids. We mm -hmm. can do it with our friends and family members. I mean, so a lot of us right now are spending a little bit more time at home mm -hmm. and we're helping family members who might be elderly. And again, including people in that, well, how might we work better remotely or how might we create new systems and routines at home? Or how might we actually solve this together and make this work for everybody? Mm -hmm. and, and again, it's really just saying that everybody's voice matters. Everybody gets to contribute to this conversation. That's amazing. Um, do you see differences in the way men have tough conversations versus women? We, I'm very careful about um, doing like blanket gender mm -hmm. stereotypes. Um, I grew up in a household of wonderful men. Absolutely. You know, I was the only girl in the, in the house except for my mom. And, but I have t brothers and my parents were very progressive and very liberal and very understanding. And through my own research, I've discovered that we tend to dismiss men's emotions because of the way that they communicate. Mm -hmm. And what we've now discovered from research from Emory and Michigan and John Hopkins is that men actually feel all the emotions that women feel. It's how they express them that's mm -hmm. different. They have a different communication style. Mm -hmm. And we also know that our brains are wired differently. So my background is in neurology and cognitive science. We know that literally, you know, neurologically, the way that men process an emotion is very different. Mm -hmm. But they still experience them. And I think mm -hmm. that this is really important for women 
to understand that if you walk into a conversation, I would suggest that you do a lot of prep, especially if there are men. You will not be brainstorming out loud. I would do less <laughs> processing verbally. I would do all of that work ahead of time so mm -hmm. that your messages are very succinct, very tight, and spot on. And if you're really not sure how to respond, I would not process out loud. I, I would say something about, I need some time to think about that. Let me, pro that's a great question. Let me process that because I want to respond thoughtfully to you mm. and then don't engage. Mm -hmm. What about the other way around? You know, in what considerations should uh, men have in terms of communicating, um, you know, with more perhaps awareness of how women receive that information? I tell almost all of my men coaching clients that you need to do a better job of listening to validate mm -hmm. rather than listening to fix. Mm. So a stereotype that we often hear is that men just want to fix this problem. They want to, they mm. want to solve it. They want to be the white knight, you know, the, the shining. And I say, you need to validate and then problem solve. So for instance, if I walked in and I said to somebody like, oh, you know, I'm upset, like this didn't work, then they typically go, well, let's fix it. And what they dismiss is the actual emotion. And mm. so what I'll tell my, um, my male CEOs is I'll say, it, it wouldn't hurt you to be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry you're upset. Or it makes sense that you're upset. Now let's fix it. Mm. And just that little pause for them creates more connectivity with their female counterparts and colleagues. Yeah, because it instantly validates the emotion. Um, and, and they of, often dismiss it. Right. And which then creates a cycle of defensiveness and wanting to get attention to the same thing that got uh, dismissed earlier. Yeah, and it's, it's a little bit of a stereotype, but it's a stereotype for a reason that, you know, women, women will express themselves and men sort of, again, it's that, you know, I just want you to hear me. I don't want you to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. And men go straight to the problem solving, again, partly DNA, that, mm -hmm. that survival, you know, that we're animal creatures and they're like, okay, well, you know, this needs to be fixed. Let's solve it. This, this adds to our, you know, our future success. But I think that when men hear that they need to validate first, what I've witnessed is, is they're, they're very teachable. They're mm -hmm. very coachable. Like if you explain this is what you're doing and this is why you're doing it, it actually mm -hmm. makes you a more empathic listener. It actually mm -hmm. creates more connectivity. And then personally, because, you know, I go there, especially in the book, that actually leads to greater intimacy. Mm. Um, and so I tell men, you know, Hey, if you just validate an emotion, you're going to be a happy camper later tonight. <laughs> we joke about that too. <laughs> that, that is fantastic. It's, it's a great motivation to follow the framework. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That's funny. Um, let's talk about, um, you know, you talked about the challenges as leaders, um, in terms of having, um, not only the importance of having tough conversations, but doing it thoughtfully in a way that's considerate of the uh, person you're speaking with. Um, we're currently experiencing some very unique circumstances. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, with stay-at-home orders from around the world as global organizations with teams collaborating remotely and uh, families stuck at home and all of that. It's created so many new dynamics in terms of interpersonal connection, but also communication and so much of that moving virtually now. Um, what, what advice would you give in terms of um, being able to lead or navigate through such terms turbulent times, especially in terms of sensitivity towards communication? I think that 
when leaders can show up as a servant leader, and, and I use that phrase on purpose, then they realize that their number one job is to set their people up for success. That's their number one job, to make sure that they have the tools and the resources that they need. And when they communicate, they need to do it with what I call credible clarity and calm. And the reason that I say credible is that you can show up and be calm and be like, we got this, you know, this mm -hmm. is fine, this is a blip, you know, this is a fire drill. And it's like, no, that's not credible, right? Mm -hmm. So it's taking the information and the data and making sense for everybody. So a leader's role in a time of crisis is to really be that light of here's all the data and here's our thoughtful response. Here's our mm -hmm. action plan, whether it's um, strategic, cultural, financial, operational. It's really taking time to say, here's what we know mm -hmm. and here's what we're going to do in response to what mm -hmm. we know. And so a lot of times we, we toss around this world, this word of, you know, we need to be adaptable. We need to be adaptable. And what does that really mean? Well, it means that protocols out the window. So one of the things that I believe right now is that we're living outside example. That's just an expression that I feel works really effectively right now. We are living outside example. So the There are no framework references to draw upon. There's no management <laughs> theory that has been put in place for such times. It's true. And so I think that, you know, now is the time to set a new good example of what it is that we want from our people. And it's fascinating to me, and I don't know what your experience has been, and everybody's experience is a little bit different. I mean, we have a lot in common right now because mm -hmm. we're all sheltering in place, but everybody's experience is unique. But my experience is that people are adapting very quickly. They're, they're using tools like GoToMeeting and Zoom and Adobe mm -hmm. Connect, and they're breaking out into rooms and having amazing conversations. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reminding leaders that nobody really wants to go to a meeting but everybody wants to go to a great conversation. Mm. So if you can use the tools like the breakout rooms in Zoom as an example, where maybe the leader comes in and starts the conversation and then people break up into pairs or triads or groups of five, you're, again, you're telling them that their input is significant, that the role that they play is still significant, mm. that you're still connected and inclusive. And that's mm. a great way to keep your culture intact, even if you're working remotely. That's incredible. Those, I love the idea of, um, you know, everyone wants to have a great conversation. And frankly, nobody wants a boring meeting you know, or an unproductive one. So Myself included. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, now looking forward, uh, you know, not just post-pandemic, but when you think about the future of work and what uh, transformation had been talked about for the last I don't know, three to five years, we've been talking about the digital transformation of organizations and cultures changing and so forth. And it's sort of, you know, this pandemic in many ways accelerated that time frame. <laughs> you know, things that we thought would happen over the course of the next five or the next 10 years are actually happening right now. And that is likely to be the new norm. There is no going back to what used to be. What do you see emerging in, you know, from your vantage point, from your lens, what, what do you um, uh, expect to see happen in the future? And what do you hope stays the same? And what do you hope changes? Well, I think you nailed it when you said that it's going to accelerate. I think, I think that's going to become the new word, that everything's going to happen at a much accelerated pace. Mm -hmm. And we're going to adapt more quickly because we're all in it together. Like this, this boat will either sail with all of us or it will sink with all of us. So of course we're going to make it sail. And I think that what we're going to see is far more connectivity than we've ever seen before. So just one example of uh, a BBA type aviation company that's one of my clients, they have offices here in California where I'm from, and then they've got a big center in the UK. 
And yes, they fly back and forth. And yes, you know, like the senior managers get together every now and then. But Zoom platform, the, the video conferencing, they're talking more in the last two weeks than they probably talked in the last three months. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we're going to see greater connectivity globally. I mm-hmm. think that we're going to see international companies actually understanding who's in a very different facility or a different center. I think, you know, Zoom's been around for a long time, but, and so has GoToMeeting and all these other platforms. And yet the usage of it was really, really limited. Mm -hmm. And now Zoom's become a part of the vocabulary where our celebrities are like, who knew what Zoom was two weeks ago? And of course, (laughs) all of us professionals were like, we knew what Zoom was. (laughs) Yeah, we've been using it for years, but. (laughs) Exactly. But it's, it's going to take on this, I think, I think it's going to change higher ed. Mm-hmm. I think that there will be more institutions that will have um, seriously um, interpreted academic credentials. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see a lot of university programs online. I mean, there are already things like, you know, Duke has their MBA program online. They've had it online mm-hmm. for years. We're going to see more of this. Um, I think that what I'm hoping it does is that it does increase our connectivity and our relationships um, around the world. What I hope that we don't lose is the love of the human experience and being Mm -hmm. together. Because I think that the positive that's coming out of this is that families are realizing that they had gotten disconnected over the last several years, that Mm -hmm. the phones just weren't cutting it. But I can't tell you the number of stories that I've heard of of families that are like, yeah, we're sitting down every night to dinner and we're playing board games. And, Mm -hmm. and I think I'm hoping that stays. I really am. Yeah, it's it's been so fascinating to see all these incredible use cases really that have come out of this. Uh, I mean, even Zoom usage to go from what was it about ten million users to over two hundred million in just three weeks, and um, it's almost like this global use case emerged where suddenly new technologies and new relationships and new conversations were being had. And that's actually, you know, it's interesting because this this just occurred to me so. If you look at the way that the CEO of Zoom even handled some of their security issues, he was so transparent. He didn't try to hide anything. He came out and he said, okay, we got overwhelmed. We weren't prepared for this. We've solved it now. We've fixed it to where the United States government has actually recognized Zoom as solving their problem effectively security-wise and doing it really quickly. So he went from like this nightmare, oh my God, I have this huge problem that's being reported in headline news to now the headline news is booyah for being transparent and for fixing it quickly and for owning it rather than mm-hmm. trying to brush it under the rug. So there's just another great way of showing you that how you respond mm-hmm. is so important. And again, leadership skills, yes, but also fundamentally a communication skill. Absolutely. And it's um, being able to navigate through those turbulent times with the authenticity, the courage, and the thoughtfulness and empathy for what you're really handling in that communication. And I think that, you know, if there's one thing I would love for listeners to take away too, is it's not the pressure of being perfect. Like Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've been doing this for 28 years and I still say stupid stuff, right? I mean, this is human. We we make mistakes and we misstep. But I think that I'm so much more comfortable now just being like, oh, that's not what I meant to say. Like, Mm. this is what I meant to say. Or I'm so sorry, that was my stress speaking, but here's what I really want to say. And just being comfortable that even when something comes out of your mouth that you're like, oh, that's not what I wanted to say, own it. Just own it so quickly that it becomes, you know, it's just dismissed versus Mm. 
three days go by and then you finally work up the courage to be like, heck, I want to go back and address that. Mm, that's incredible. How have you seen um, communication play out even in terms of proximity to power, if you will, you know, being able to, if you're a, a mid-career woman and um, you really want to get to know someone in the C-suite, but you're intimidated or you don't know quite even how to approach them and you miss out on those opportunities that might emerge, um, you know, what, how do you navigate that? Well, the first thing is I'd say give yourself some grace because I think we've all been there and we've all had those lost opportunities um, or we're so nervous, you know, we're intimidated that we're that, like that voice box just shuts off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, Oh, I meant to say something. And I yeah. know even celebrities will talk about that. You know, celebrities will go meet another celebrity and they'll be like, I was a total goofball um, because we get nervous. And I mm-hmm. think that would be the first thing that I would encourage women to own is that if you are with somebody and you're having a tough conversation and your chest gets tight or your voice tightens up, or sometimes our bodies do crazy reactions. Like, you know, your face can get all red or your eyes can get kind of watery to just remember that that's your bodily body expressing the fact that it cares, Mm. that this is an important conversation. So I encourage women, especially to say, well, clearly this matters. Mm -hmm. Or as you can see, this is really important to me and I care. That is a beautiful way of not apologizing Mm -hmm. for your reaction, but just owning it. And, Mm -hmm. And again, framing it in a way that's appropriate. Hey, I I care about this. And then I think that when it comes to getting closer to the C-suite, you need to do it as a natural progression. So when I see women being overly um, assertive, I'll I'll say to them, you know, you'll, you'll get more attention and respect if you just own the situation that you're in and you value the worth of your voice in this moment, not Mm -hmm. having to prove yourself for a future moment, but just saying, Hey, I'm going to take this conversation, one conversation at a time. Mm. I also think that in terms of an entrepreneurial thing, the great way to get the attention of, as you, as you might define people who are maybe further ahead in their success ladder than you, maybe they've got a little bit more going on than you, or they got more brand awareness, mm. or they seem to have more influence than you do, rather than like being like, Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. And, and you try to grab their attention, serve. Mm. Go out and just continue focusing on your path, do amazing things on your path, and you'll be amazed at how many people start to look at what you're doing and then want to invite a conversation with you. So Mm. I say stay focused on your lane, stay in your lane, do amazing stuff in your lane, and other people will start to come to you. That, that, and that uh, applies not just in a context where you might be going to a workplace, but equally in a virtual environment. You know, same thing is equally true because now in some ways having uh, more video conversations creates a level of intimacy that you might not actually have if you're around an office floor. You know? You're seeing someone really up close and it creates a different degree of intimacy in that situation. It does. And I think, I think we can all relate to the somewhere along in our career path, you know, we had this interaction through email with somebody mm-hmm. and maybe somebody got a little bit snippy or a little bit snarky or, or you're like, nah, I don't know how to read this one. And then you meet them and you're like, oh my God, you're so cool. You're so amazing. And, and, then, and then when you realize that they're human and they're fabulous, the whole tone of the email change shifts going yeah. forward. And it's because we finally connected human yeah. being to human being. And I think 
I think all this video conferencing is going to help us be nicer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also be comfortable with who you are. You know, I I keep hearing stories about how, uh, you know, even some of my friends that have been over the last three weeks communicating with their colleagues via Zoom, they went from being all dolled up, hair and makeup done in the first week to the second week, maybe a little less to the third week. Well, this is what you're getting. (laughs) And it's, and it's the truth. And I think we were, we were joking this too, because I have a mastermind group that I'm in and we're like, so what are we all going to look like eight weeks from now? (laughs) Okay. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while we have it. Right. We're all going to be in ponytails. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, so looking forward, you know, I want to, um, you know, capture your final words of wisdom when you think about the future of work, when you think about this very digital environment, uh, with virtual interaction, communication becomes even more paramount in that context, um, especially if there's lesser in-person connection over time, right? Um, what advice would you give in terms of key skills to develop or something to keep in mind? as the guiding principle? Well, I think that this is going to sound a little bit um, self-serving, but obviously to work on your communication skills and to, to not, again, put the pressure on that you have to be perfect, but more that you're just continuing to invest in it. And there are tons of resources out there. I mean, it's not, it's not like one-stop shopping. There are a myriad of excellent books on communication skills, and there are a myriad of books on relationship skills. And then I think that one of the things that I would encourage everybody to do that's listening is to get comfortable using the new technology. So this is a beautiful space right now where everybody's got grace for one another because we're all adjusting. Mm. So if, if the lighting's not perfect, we kind of get it. If, if the noise is a little off, we kind of get it. If, if you're sort of fumbling with your keyboard, like, I don't know how to turn that on or where is that? Everybody's supportive right now because we're all in it together. I would predict unfortunately, but this is typical human behavior, that 12 months down the line, 18 months down the line, people will not be as gracious and they will not be as patient with you. And so this is a really great time to invest in the technology skills and where we're going because everybody's starting pretty much at the same place. Now, yes, are there experts out there? Of course there are. Mm -hmm. But the majority of millions on the planet, we're all sort of beginners at this. Mm -hmm. So embrace it. And the sooner that you get comfortable with it, the faster that you will stay and then get ahead of the curve um, and just be super confident so that you're not so much worried about the technology and then you can focus on the conversation itself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fantastic advice and something that we have to recognize it is part of a new normal. And the faster we get there and get comfortable, the more we can operate successfully in that new normal. And this is, this is a great time to practice. So I had a couple um, women in a group at what my client, we were doing a bunch of free coaching in the last two weeks, just because mm-hmm. it was the right thing to do. It was absolutely the right thing to do. But the women were like, we don't, we don't know how to use this platform. And we were talking about Zoom at the time. And I said, so why don't you all schedule happy hour? Or why don't you all schedule breakfast and coffee together where you're not worried about your performance, but you all just get together and you try all the stuff, but take the content out of it. Take mm-hmm. the pressure of having, and just play with all the little dials and buttons and how the chat room and the Q and a and the breakout room is it just play. And they're like, we can do that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's just, again, it's giving yourself permission and all the seriousness that's going on to just have a little bit of fun. 
Oh, I love that. Love that. Well, that's fantastic advice. And, and thank you so much for an amazing conversation today and uh, all of your wisdom and the magical phrases that you shared with us. I'm excited for our listeners to go check out, you know, get a copy of your book and explore your masterclass as well, which I think is fantastic. Um, so thank you again for joining us, Amy K. It was an absolute delight. And we hope to have you back again on the show sometime. Oh, thank you so much. It was a true pleasure and honor. So thank you. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.